I think to attract that person into your life, you have to be perfectly fine alone. Okay. hundred percent. And not just like, yeah, I like being single. It's like, enjoy your life. Like, enjoy Like, think about it. Like the person that we think is the most confident is not the person that's eager to be in a relationship. It's the person that's like, I feel pretty good in my life right now. Like by myself, like I'm cool. Like, yeah, I want to meet someone and I will someday, but like, I'm also cool where I am. Cause if you're honest with yourself, relationships are amazing, but it's also amazing to be single. And I think sometimes people aren't just honest with themselves. Like there are pros and cons to everything. You don't have to share your bed, which can be a con and a pro. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you don't have to make decisions with anyone. So like enjoy this time in your life because if you're single right now, tomorrow you can meet someone and never be single again for the rest of your life. Right. So if you break that stuff down, it's it, where you are, not a bad thing. Born in 92 on the block with the sharks. Come from a different cloth, y'all would get ripped apart. You want a diamond, then you gotta get it in the dark. We dropping nuggets like Carmelo with the Rucker Park. Now we eating from state to state, we scrape the plate. I put my eggs in the basket, took a leap of faith. I took a chance, now we grow and see the impact. Decoding success with special guests, now let's bring that. Welcome to the show, everyone. This is your host, Matt Labrie, and you're rocking with us here on the Decoding Success Podcast. If this is your first time tuning into the show in the new year, welcome. Happy New Year. I hope that you, your loved ones, so on and so forth, had a very healthy, I'm going to emphasize the word healthy, safe, joyous, and happy holiday celebration. Now, with that being said, I understand that what we're experiencing on a global level is not easy to navigate whatsoever. It's not easy to navigate from a physical perspective, a mental, emotional, spiritual perspective. So with that being said, I just want to send good vibes, good wishes to each and every one of you. And we're going to continue those good vibes here on this episode. You just heard from our friend Stephanie Lynn at the top of the show. We're going to introduce her in just a little bit, but I want to put this into perspective. I discovered Stephanie on social, maybe because of what I was searching. You know how this Instagram and Facebook and YouTube stuff goes. You know, you watch one video about relationships and then you're spammed with a million more. Well, I'm actually really grateful because I discovered Stephanie and her content is absolutely incredible. In fact, I tried very, very hard on numerous different attempts to get her on the show, and we finally did, and I'm really excited to be able to amplify it to all of you. Now, Stephanie is a life and relationship coach and influencer who works with her clients and provides a foundation of what it means to be emotionally and mentally healthy. She helps people heal from emotional and narcissistic abuse while also overcoming previous traumas. The content Stephanie provides dives into the major areas of self-development, such as emotional abuse, codependency, narcissism, emotional triggers, as well as learning how to create a healthy inner self. A major part of her teaching is a process called self-parenting, which ultimately teaches us how to take care of ourselves mentally, emotionally, physically, and spiritually. Within her practice, Stephanie has created a thriving YouTube channel, Stephanie Lynn Coaching, which you can find linked in the show notes of this episode, and a podcast on top of that where people go to learn her teachings and gain the support they need to overcome what they have been through. By having open discussion about difficult yet relatable topics, she has cultivated a very trustworthy bond with her viewers. Stephanie creates content that is both motivational and educational with the intent of helping her viewers learn healthy coping skills and improve their overall sense of self-worth. Now, with all of that being said, this is exactly why I discovered Stephanie, because I've dealt with 
many of the things mentioned within her bio that we just read off here. And also the fact that, listen, I've also been codependent in relationships. I've also been emotionally abused, so on and so forth. Many of us have. That's the thing. Many of us have, not many of us know we have. So Stephanie's episode right here, which I'm really excited to amplify once again, is going to open your eyes to a lot of what's out there, a lot of our past experiences, so on and so forth. So without further ado, we bring to you our friend, Stephanie Lynn. Steph, welcome to the show. I was very persistent in your DMs trying to get you on here. I love your content. You are fantastic. Before I jump the gun, I just want to welcome you and say thank you for joining us today. Thanks. I'm so excited to be here. Absolutely. Now, again, I can jump the gun. I have a million and one questions in the realm in which you work in, but I want to backtrack and start at the beginning of your journey. Maybe not the beginning, but I want to learn who was Stephanie in high school? Who was she hanging out with? What were her struggles back then? What were her dreams? Oh my God, no one's asked me those kind of questions before. All right, let's go back. So high school, who was Stephanie? So Stephanie was, I honestly think she was like a no-nonsense kind of person. I've always been a person that liked quality, not quantity. So I always had a small group around me. Stephanie didn't like BS conversation. She was kind of a deep person. So she liked to kind of like, that's why she had quality, not quantity. But I mean, she was definitely insecure for sure. I don't know what 16 or 17 year old isn't. She didn't know what she wanted to be when she grew up, for sure. She didn't know she was highly sensitive. Uh, I think she was just trying to figure it out. And she knew, you know, when you're young, I always kind of like saw things differently. I think I'm just like that older soul. So like I understood that everyone was doing things because I thought it was cool. Stephanie was not that girl. If she didn't want to do it, she was not going to do it. So she didn't buckle under peer pressure for the most part. But I think she was like fairly confident with herself, but she definitely had her own insecurities for sure. Okay, cool. Yeah, like you said, I think we all do. It's pretty natural, especially when society throws a whole bunch of norms on you. But I'm curious, like what you're doing now is pretty deep work. And you just mentioned that Stephanie in high school, like depth, you know, not surface level shit. So is there any correlation between the two whatsoever? Between me now and then, I think when I was younger, I didn't really appreciate surface level things. And I don't mean that in a fake way. I mean that everything has its role in your life. You know what I mean? And I think when you aren't down to have those initial surface level conversations, then you really never start to like build a foundation with people. So now I actually have more friends in my life than I did when I was younger. I still have those quality friendships, but I'm more comfortable in my own skin to just BS with you and just, and just talk with you and just conversate and see if that relationship can turn into something deeper. And if it doesn't, accepting that that's that person's role in my life, whether it's just the person that I go to the gym with or go out for dinner with, and that not everyone has to be like my sole family, my sole sister, that makes sense. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, you were just mentioning a corporate job. I'm just curious to find how we can connect the dots here. What brings you down the line of pursuing life and relationship coach? So I think for most people, when they're younger, depending on family and what you grew up with and society, you think you should be doing certain things, you know? So I grew up, you know, not financially wealthy by any means. You know, my parents definitely struggled, blue collar family. So I saw the wooden spoon and wanted nothing to do with it. (laughs) I was like, I don't want that spoon. 
so, you know, and I've always been a hard worker, but I just thought that my life was supposed to go down a certain path. I was supposed to graduate from high school. I was supposed to go to a four-year college. And because I didn't have the financial means to do that, I had to work for everything myself, let alone trying to figure out at 18 years old, what do you want to be when you grow up? Which, I mean, I'm 40 and I'm just now hitting that mark where I kind of said, this is what I'm meant to do with my life, not what I should be doing. So I went down the corporate road like most people do and was miserable. I think in the beginning, I enjoyed it and I felt like I was climbing the ladder and I thought I was, you know... I made it, so to speak, and I was doing what everyone else was doing. And But over time, I just got to a place where I was like, this is it. You know, I'm, I'm 30. I'm like, I'm going to do this for the next 30 years. It just, it didn't fulfill me in any way, shape, or form. And I kind of was envious of the people that just did what they had to do to, like, make ends meet or were perfectly happy making six figures but doing a job that they didn't really enjoy. And some level, I was kind of envious of that, that, not necessarily the ignorance of it, but just that they didn't want anything for themselves more than that, or that they didn't try to kind of dig deeper to like say, well, who am I? And what should I do with my life? Like there are people that don't ask those kind of questions. And I was asking those kind of questions. And when you ask questions, you got to go deep. And when you go deep, it's, it's tough. So, you know, I think over time, I just got really unfulfilled with what I was doing. And then, you know, through life experience, I ended up here. I love that. Now, I'm not saying this for brownie points whatsoever, but you do not look 40. Just, oh, thank you. <laughs> just throwing that out there. I would have never guessed Mom that. Care of herself. <laughs> <laughs> uh, cool, cool. So when you were transitioning out of corporate into what you currently do now, did you just like jump both feet in the water right off the cliff or did you transition smoothly? I always ask that no. because I, I did it the complete opposite way. I just jumped off the cliff when I was transitioning out. Yeah. Good for you. You know, I think, I think I had it in me to rip the bandaid, but I didn't because I didn't know that this was it. So if, if I knew in my soul, like I want to be a painter or I want to do this with my life and I'm so passionate about it, I think I could have ripped the bandaid for sure, but I didn't know that this was it. I slowly got to this point, but when I was in a corporate job, I actually hired my first life coach and I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I knew I didn't want to stay in a corporate role. And she said, you know, like who's Stephanie? And we started, you know, doing that kind of like inner work and digging deep. And I said, you know what I love to, I love to cook. I love to bake. And I'm like, maybe I could open my own business someday. And I would maybe go to culinary school. That would be something. Or maybe I would be a nurse because I always knew I wanted to help people, but I didn't know what it was going to look like, you know, and you can help people in a multitude of ways. So I'm like, well, do I want to go to hairdressing school? Do I want to become a nurse? Do I want to work in a bakery? Finally, I ripped the Band-Aid and I said, all right, I'm going to go to culinary school. So I actually left my corporate job making good money, went to culinary school making minimum wage. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm going all the way back to square one. I did that for a while. I got married. I had my son. And then I went through a really catastrophic divorce. Hence, bringing me to the relationship side of when I coach, you know, the, the relationship piece, learning about narcissism, learning about codependency, being an empath, being highly sensitive. So going through the divorce helped me learn this side of coaching, whereas before I just left that corporate job, went into culinary stuff and I enjoyed it, but it wasn't anything. I didn't have a drive for it. I didn't, I didn't have a drive to start my own business in this industry, but I had a drive to be an entrepreneur. 
Okay, cool. No, I appreciate yeah. you making the dots there. I did not know about the divorce. So I appreciate you being yeah. and sharing that. So the relationship space is, I mean, I can go down the rabbit hole here and we're going to, because this is why we're here. It's complicated. Like it, it's not an yeah. easy space to navigate, especially as a single person whatsoever. Dating is pretty crazy, but I want to focus on codependency because that's something I've personally experienced. And I know a lot of people do. So from your experience, mm-hmm. What is the most common reason that leads to being codependent? Being raised by either a parent who, one or two parents who are narcissistic, probably one, and, and or not getting what you need on an emotional or mental level, probably an emotional level from one or both of your parents. Mm. And when I say that, you know, when I tell people, they know that they're codependent, but when I'm like, okay, you didn't get what you needed growing up. A lot of people will for sure say, yes, I didn't, you know, like dad peaced out or mom was a single mom and she was, and she was struggling and I never could really talk to them or whatever that looks like. Everyone's, you know, childhood was completely different, but I think the people that struggle the most are the ones that kind of look at me and they're like, well, Steph, I didn't really have a bad childhood. Like mom and dad are great. And they can't figure out, well, what didn't I get? Because I feel like I actually got a good chunk of what I needed, but there were still some things that were kind of missing. So it, it really depends on the person, but in a nutshell, it has to do with you didn't get most often validation. Mm. You didn't get validation and growing up and you didn't get a person that saw you, you know what I mean? On a daily basis, because children are a lot of work. I don't know if you're a parent, but a lot of work. And so they have to be seen and heard and given choices constantly in order for them to cultivate a healthy sense of their own self. So they have that connection with, their, with themselves and they keep that throughout the course of their life. When a child is born very early on, they know exactly what they need. You know, they're the happiest things in the world. When they want to go over and just open that cabinet, they do it. When they want something, they do it. So they know exactly what they need. And over the course of time, we tell them that they don't need those things. This is what they should need. And when you do that to a child for an extended period of time, they, they start to lose that connection with themselves that says, well, no, I need to go do this. And obviously, we can't let them do whatever they want. You know, let's just go run out in traffic or anything like that. But I think it is parents, especially in, in my generation, even more now, it's, it's almost even worse. You know, when I was being, when I was a kid in the early 80s, it was, there was not as much divorce as there is now, but there was also one parent working and one parent was home. Whereas now there's two parents working and kids are, you know, in babysitters or daycare more than, you know, previous generations. So is the child getting what he or she needs emotionally? That's like the biggest thing that will end up triggering codependency. Right. Now I haven't asked this question. I'm always asking it on the opposite side, which I plan to do in a little bit, but you're a parent. So I'm curious from a parent's perspective, what are you doing to ensure that your, you know, your little one is literally receiving everything they need and maybe not everything at the same time, but you know, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, nine times out of 10, eight times out of 10, are they getting what they need? Cause you're right. You can't do it all the time. So there are certain things that I think I've learned to do as a parent that I've learned through just psychology and child development and all that stuff that I love to do and read about and focus on. But a big part also is, you know, keep it real. What were the things that you didn't get that you knew were really, really important? And how are you going to give them to your children? And also still give him or her the things that you did get that were really important, that were foundation uh, or fundamental towards your upbringing. 
because I didn't have that silver spoon. I had the wooden spoon. I have a crazy work ethic. So that's something now he has more of the silver spoon than he's got the wooden one that I had grown up. So making sure that he understands like we have all this and it's amazing and you have more than what mom had, but we got to work for it, you know, and, and keeping that alive. But I think the emotional stuff that I'm trying to give him is when I do something wrong, I apologize. It doesn't matter that I'm the mother and he's the child. I think that's huge. And I think, you know, old school, that's just not the way it was. It was, I'm the parent, you listen to me, it's how I say goes, et cetera, et cetera. The child didn't really have a voice. And the child didn't learn how to say I'm sorry or apologize. It, it wasn't that mutual relationship between uh, parent and child. So when I do something wrong, I own it. When he does something wrong, he owns it. I give him a voice. I give him choices. I, I let him speak to me in a respectful way, but voice his opinion, right? And not everything, I can just give you what you want. You know, if you do something wrong and you get punished or if you have to do schoolwork, yeah, you're not going to like it. But I think for the most part, I've, I've always allowed him to make some choices within reason, right? I don't let him just do whatever he wants, but little things like, hey, bud, what do you want for dinner? Do you want peas or carrots? Like just that right there, those are little, little things that for the child that builds like, oh, my opinion matters. Okay, well, what is my opinion? And those are two things that are huge towards becoming a healthy adult. But I think just a good, respectful relationship, right? I don't want him to fear me. I want him to respect me. But I understand that respect is earned and, it, and he shouldn't respect me just because I'm his mother. Because if I'm a horrible person, just because I'm his mom, should he respect me for that? Just because I, quote, gave him life? In my opinion, I don't think so. So just making sure that our dialogue is open and then when he feels something, regardless of what it is, that I always validate it, even if it's something at me. So, if, for example, if he's like, you know, mom, it really hurt my feelings when you said that, then I'm able to remove my ego and like get down to his level and try to understand why he feels that way. That's huge towards becoming healthy when he grows up to be a, um, a man. Absolutely. Now, is it possible for us to identify codependency traits without a coach or a therapist, so on and so forth? Um, I think when you're, I think for the most part, if you can admit that you're a love addict, if you could admit that you don't like to be alone, that you like to either be around people or in relationships, that's kind of like a, you know, a little bit of a red flag towards codependency. I think when you're a people pleaser, when, and if, if you can't acknowledge, okay, I'm a people pleaser, then you love to help people. And you do it in a way where they come first above yourself always. That's a clear indication. Absolutely. That's exactly what I experienced in my last relationship. Absolute people pleaser, put everyone first. Uh, so I resonate with that a lot. Now, how yeah. do we move out of codependency? Like, what does that process look like? So I always tell people, you know, here's the thing. What, what you've always done, you've created a habit of being this person. You've created a habit of being codependent. So now you're an adult and you can actually stop for a second and decide how you want to handle situations. So one thing that I would have my clients work on is when you wake up in the morning throughout your whole day, every single day for the rest of your life, whether you like it or not, you have to learn how to parent yourself, how to take care of yourself, how to listen to yourself, how to honor yourself. So when I started really working on codependency, I started with what do I think and what do I feel? 
I would always ask myself that. What do I think about this? How do I feel about this? Should I do this? Is this good for me to do this? Why am I doing it? When you start to kind of ask yourself those questions, because remember, think of the parent to the child. I want to know, why do you want to do this? I want to know, do you want to do this? I want to know, how do you feel about this? And as parents, that's what you're always doing. Even if you were babysitting, you're always asking a child, how are you doing? Do you need anything? Are you good? You're asking questions constantly. So you're learning how to parent yourself by asking yourself questions throughout the day so you can understand why am I doing certain things? What am I doing? If I want to help her and do this for her, why do I want to? Is it because I'm struggling to see her struggle? Is it because I don't want her to go through any inconvenience or pain? And even even though those reasons sound like good reasons for wanting to help someone, they're bad for two reasons. Because number one, if you're exhausted and you're helping someone, you're coming from an empty cup, right? That saying of put your mask on before you can put someone else's mask on. Let me fill myself up. And then everything else that's extra that comes out of the cup is for everyone else, right? That's what, in order to be healthy, you have to be able to do that. But the other thing is too, and I think when you're an empath or someone who's really highly sensitive, you struggle with watching other people struggle because you feel so deeply and you don't like to see pain and you don't like to see people going through uncomfortable things. That's a part of life. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, so you're actually, while you think you're helping someone, you're actually hurting them because they're not, you're not giving them the, the space to be able to learn how to stand on their own two feet. Absolutely. I love this. So many questions on like just way too many. <laughs> All right, cool. What have you seen to be the keys or the foundations for a successful relationship based off of your work, your research, so on and so forth? successful relationship, learn how to be alone, learn how to be your own best friend. At some point in your life, you're going to be alone. Even if you find the love of your life and you're married for 50 years, if they go before you, you're alone. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like at some point in your life, you're alone. So I I call it the 80-20 rule. You should know how to take care of yourself 80% of the time. 20% when you're having that day where you're like, I just can't pick myself out of this funk. That's for other people to help you with friends, family, coach, therapist, there are going to be days where maybe you're in like a tough spot and all you can do is 20%. Like that's fine. But I think majority of the time you have to learn how to take care of yourself 80%. And the 80% is the emotional realm and the mental realm. And most people struggle in one of two areas. So for example, if I coach someone and they're multi, multi-millionaire, uber successful, but they're severely codependent. Okay. Well, clearly they don't struggle on a mental level. They can motivate themselves to make an obscene amount of money or get their body into like TikTok shape or whatever. But it's, it's the emotional realm that they really, really struggle with, hence the codependency. So learning, how do I take care of myself on an emotional level? What does that look like? And how do I take care of myself on a mental level? What does that look like? To me, having the best relationship is that I don't look for you to be able to do that all the time. It's that 80-20%. I know how to do it. And when you come in and you give me that 20%, that's just the icing on the cake, right? It's like that saying, like, have a great life or someone should be adding to your life that's already amazing, so to speak, right? So if you cultivate a good life on your own, good friendship, you know, social life, work, health, finance, if, if you're good to go, and then you meet someone, right off the bat, your standards are going to be way higher for a relationship because like, I'm happy. Like, 
yeah, I want to meet someone and I need someone to, you know, I, I deserve someone to love me or I want someone to hold my hand, you know, but I'm good, you know? And so what I'm looking for is someone that's at my level of, of healthiness, really. For sure. Now, what's your advice for someone that's listening to this that might not be comfortable being alone? They don't like what comes up when they think about it. You know, when they are alone, they numb out. Maybe they drink a bottle of wine, they watch TV, Netflix, whatever the case is, right? And all of that stuff is good in moderation, obviously. But regardless, what's your advice there? So when I coach people, and actually all over my channel, I talk about all the time. I was talking about something called self-parenting, which I mentioned, right? So when I, when I said to you, like the emotional, how do I take care of myself emotionally and mentally? If you understand what that means, then you'll never feel alone. You just won't. Because... You feel alone, literally, it's, it's the most simplest thing in the world, but it's so significant and it has such an effect on your mental health is what are you repeating to yourself every single day that makes you not want to be alone? Like, what's the story? So for me, when I coach people, I'm like, let's start breaking, uh, breaking down some of these stories because it's the story that you just repeat constantly. And half the time, people don't even, people don't even realize that they're even doing it. They're just on autopilot. No matter what it is, whether it's negative self-talk, limiting beliefs, assumptions, fears. And I would tell people, no fear, every fear that you ever will create in your mind, even if it's something that has happened to someone else, that fear is still not real because that fear is not happening right now. The only fear that's real is something that's happening right now. So if all of a sudden the house started burning down and I'm like, oh no, that's real. That's a fear. Get out. Right. Right. But if I'm sitting here like, what if the house burned down? Well, it's not. So the more I see that story, it's going to paralyze me. So people that really struggle with being alone is because it all comes down to the stories. And because when they experience those insecurities, fears, whatever they are, they just feed them and they don't stop for a second to parent themselves and realize that they're actually causing their own pain and suffering. Makes sense. I mean, it's the simplest thing. And the only reason why people think it's hard is just because they have to walk on eggshells for a little bit. It's like if I told you, okay, well, how do you tie your shoe? Well, okay, well, I loop it and then I, you know, take one string and I swoop it around. I was like, all right, well, I'm going to tell you now to start doing bunny ears, right? So if I said every single time you tie your shoe, you, for your whole life, you've always looped it and then swooped it around. Now I'm going to tell you to do bunny ears every single time. Well, Every time you tie your shoe, number one, you're going to be mindful of like, oh, okay, I got to do it this way. But there are going to be some days where you're going to rush out the door and you're not going to think about it. You're just going to do what you were programmed to do. So the heart, it's not what you have to do in order to change. It's just being mindful to like, okay, I have to do this differently, right? Absolutely. It's just, it's a habit that you've done is kind of see these stories, is, is feed the fears, see the insecurity, et cetera, et cetera. And if you just start slowing down throughout your day to ask yourself those questions, what do I need? How do I feel? Giving yourself positive and healthy self-talk, listening to affirmations. I tell people all the time, you have got to feed your mind. I feed my mind all the time and I've been doing this for 10 plus years because if I don't, it's like a muscle. It's like going to the gym. Yeah, I can go to the gym for six months and have a killer body, but then if I stop for a month, I'm going to get soft. That's just the way it works. So take that responsibility to say, all right, I'm in here. I'm in this mind. I'm in this body and I have to take care of it. And what do I have to do every day to get my mind right, to get my body right, to get my whatever, right? You know, I mean, that's just mental health. That's just taking care of yourself. For sure. What's a question you wish more people would ask you and how would you answer it? I'm sure you get um, questions, whether it be on YouTube or through your coaching or podcast, yeah. so on and so forth. So I'm just curious. Yeah. I wish more people were concerned about 
And for my audience, they are, because when they start to watch the videos, they're like, all right, this stuff's deep. <laughs> like, I'm not going to give you the three signs or the three ways to make a man love you. Like, I'm not going to give you that stuff. It's never about anyone else. Always going to be about yourself. So even when I coach couples, for example, I don't coach them as a couple. I coach them individually. And then we have one session a month where we come together. And so I'm working with couple, you know, one person here on their stuff. And then this one over here on her stuff or his stuff or whatever. So I wish more people would ask questions of what does it really look like to be healthy on a day-to-day basis? And how can they break down mental health in these small little ways so they can start feeling like, okay, I'm making progress. Hmm. A lot of people just want quick fixes and it just doesn't work like that. What does looking healthy look like on a day-to-day basis? I think being if you, if I said to you, turn around right now, there's an eight-year-old boy right there. He's with you for the rest of your life. And he's going to stay about that age. He'll go from six, maybe he'll be 18, maybe he'll be 21, 12, whatever. But he's your child now for the rest of your life. He's never going to grow up and be a man. He's always going to be a child. He's with you for the rest of your life. You have to take care of him. The way you would take care of him is the way you need to take care of yourself. So when it, you know, it's easy to say, I'm such a good son to my mom. I'm such a good brother to him. I'm such a good husband to my wife. Or I'm such a good human being to a, a random person on the street that needs me. But when it comes back to yourself, can you flip what you know how to give to other people so naturally and so lovingly? Can you flip it and do it for you? Mm. You know, that's not the hard part, but that's what we have to start slowing down to be mindful because half of the things that you say to you, you would never say to me. Absolutely. If I was struggling with the things that you were struggling with. Why do we do that? Why do we do that though? It's almost like we lie to ourselves, you know, like I, I, I've, I wouldn't lie to you, but there are many times I'll lie to myself saying, Oh, I'll go to the gym in the morning. And I don't, you know, like things like that. Right. 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 Well, I think a lot of the times we do it to ourselves because it was actually done to us. You know what I mean? Like we heard negativity, we heard fear, we heard limiting beliefs, we heard you know, people that loved us, but because they weren't healthy, they weren't giving us that inner dialogue that we should have been downloaded with that would allow us to actually be healthy ourselves. So you have to slow down and ask yourself, is this mom talking? Is this dad talking? Is society talking? Is this the person I just had a conversation with and they're so negative and they were so like fearful, like who's talking? And chances are it's it's outside stuff, right? So And then I think the more you do something, it just becomes a habit. Mm. So if I, if you, a lot of the times when I'm talking with clients and I'm like, all right, what's the fear? What's the story? And so they'll break it down. Well, the fear is like, I think I'm going to die alone. I don't think I'm ever going to meet someone. And I'm like, do you know how many people are living in the world? Like you need to tell me, you don't think you're going to ever meet someone. And so when I start breaking down their fears or their insecurities or their limiting beliefs or whatever it is, they realize like, oh, wow, that none of that stuff's actually real. It's just something that I started like feeding and doing it time and time again that I believe it to be real, right? So I think when you start to slow down and make different decisions, you know, free will is the ability to make a decision. We all have it. So when you're at the forefront of like, okay, I'm fearful and this is the story why I'm feeling fear right now, you get to decide, do I think that story is real? Do I, it it doesn't even matter if you think it's real. Do I want to believe that story? That's, that's a logical choice that you get to make as a human being because you have free will. So what I tell people is a lot of the time, 
what I want you to do is get that crossroad of you always used to go left and just feed those stories and feed those stories. It doesn't matter if you don't believe. What I want you to do is start going right. And you don't have to believe that right is the right way to go or that you believe, yes, it's going to work out. You don't have to believe it yet. All you need to do is just start going right. Because the more you keep going right, you will start to believe it. Absolutely. But going right, per se, quote unquote, can be uncomfortable at times. So how do you deal with the uncomfort? Well, I would tell people like, what's the goal? Right. Right. Like, what is the goal? So if the goal is I want to feel this way, the goal is I want to achieve this, I want to have this, you have to be a big boy or a big girl and say, I got to get uncomfortable, which is I have to go right. And here's the thing, the uncomfortableness, again, it's just like fear. So if I had to go out on stage right now in front of a thousand people, I'm probably going to be a little nervous. You know what I mean? Like, but if I'm on stage and I'm talking to people and I can hear that story in the background, because that's how crazy our minds work is like, we could be having a conversation and your mind can all of a sudden start going to like, all right, I got to go get the laundry later and I got to go to target. So the minute you can recognize that's what your mind's doing, it's starting to create a story of like, Steph, you're in front of a thousand people right now. Like, what if you just completely messed up? I have to, as I'm talking to my audience, be aware of that story and, and just completely dismiss it because I accept now that if I even look at that story for one second or feed it, it's going to debilitate me. That's it. So when you understand these kind of concepts and you just practice it just slowly in, in little wins, not necessarily in front of a thousand people, but even if you're just on a first date and you're sitting across from someone and all of a sudden here comes the conversation. Oh my God, she's so attractive. Oh my God. What if she doesn't like me? Oh my God. What if this doesn't work out? Is this my husband? Like, you know, all of those kind of things where you're just like, wait a minute, hold on, let's just sit back and let's just get to know a person. Let's just be in the moment. Let's just enjoy ourselves. We don't need to know if this is my wife. We don't need to know if this is the person. And when we first find out if I like them before we're concerned about whether or not they like me, you know, I think when you can start having those healthy conversations in your mind like that, that voice will start to get soothed because that voice is your inner child. Right. That's a little boy that's eight years old being like, does she like me? Like, you know, what if I don't get to make this much money this year? Like that's that child inside of you. And he or she needs validation, needs someone to acknowledge. Yes, it's okay that you feel this way. No matter what it is, it needs self-soothing. It needs that logical love, mental love of saying, we're not going to do this anymore. Let's, let's move on. So I always say like, Parenting yourself is kind of like you have to be mom and dad. Mom typically is the nurturer, right? When we think of like mom, but really what I mean by mom is just feminine energy, right? Dad can be more feminine than mom. But in order to really take care of yourself, you have to learn how to be mom or dad. So you have to learn when I, when the story comes up, fear, insecurity, worry, whatever, anxiety, do I need mom to come in or dad to come in? A lot of the times dad only comes in, meaning you shouldn't feel that way let's come on, let's go get out of here. Like we're good. We shouldn't be doing that right now. You know, dad was, he's logical. And in some realms that was really good that we needed, but he was also probably critical, you know, a little short tempered, <laughs> you know, like those kind of things. And sometimes mom was a little too emotional or whimsical and you, you need to find a balance between both. So when you feel fear and security and all that stuff, Mom has to come in and validate those feelings, soothe you, which is what moms did, right? It's okay that you feel that way. I see that you're upset. Come here, mom will hold you. And then dad needs to come in to say, okay, we were on the couch now for two days depressed. Get up. We're done now, right? Like you got to learn how to balance those two sides of yourself. 
Absolutely. So firstly, I just want to say how refreshing it is to hear you reframe how important it is to put yourself first. I, I'm sitting here in awe. I love that because I've been on the opposite end of that for sure. Secondly, also how important it is to actually know what the goal is, because I've seen people go back to ex-boyfriends, ex-girlfriends and fall into the same loop because they have went right, tried it, it was uncomfortable. And then all of a sudden, you know, I don't know, th- things got crazy for them. And then thirdly, you bring up first date. So I have to ask, what do you feel are the best questions to ask? And maybe not the best questions, but like, what are you trying to like identify on that first date? You, you kind of gave us away or gave away the answer by saying you want to kind of understand if you, you like them and you put yourself first mm-hmm. there, but is there something else? Like, is there values or more to that? I think that for me, you know, the whole first date question thing I don't know. I look at it like everyone's on their best behavior on a first date. Like, I mean, unless I'm just like a psychopath, I'm going to tell you probably what you want to hear on some realm. I mean, most people aren't going to be brutally honest and say, I'm a hot mess. You know what I mean? (laughs) Like on date one. So I think it's about how can you date in a healthy way, which is, I would tell people, so when you start dating, especially when you find someone you're smitten, emotion is just going to happen. You don't have to it's not hard to love people. I mean, how many times have we loved a very dysfunctional and healthy person, right? Like it's easy. It's so the emotional stuff that'll happen. The butterflies, I'm excited to see her. Da, 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 da. It's the logical side that you want to start bringing into dating. And most people are like, Oh, it's all emotion. It should actually be logic first. Like, are you good for me? Are you right for me? Who are you? And I think a lot of those questions, you just don't know until you've been around a person to like get to know them. And then I hear people say, well, my God, that would take so long. And, you know, I'm just going to like date around and date around. I mean, look, I think after a month of seeing someone, even if you saw a person like once a week, you'll have a good handle on like whether or not you've seen anything that seems a little suspicious. And you always want to reel the emotions back in, meaning like, let's not go too far. Cause like, we don't know a person yet, you know, like let's not give too much of ourselves. Cause like, we're still building that foundation with this person. Right. Cause if I'm giving too much, then I'm probably coming from some lack, fear, insecurity. Um, and if I'm like looking for signs of a toxic person, then I probably have some wounds that I still have to deal with. Right. Or heal from. So I think if you can be more logic with who are, who am I, like, who am I? And what do I need in a partner? You can get really honest with yourself and not just making that list of like, well, he's sweet and kind and caring. Dissect that. What does that mean? What do you need? Like, because if I said to you, this is what I think caring is, a man that in the morning brings me coffee, a man that does this or whatever, to you, caring for what you need is going to look completely different. So like define these words that you will put down on this list, trusting, honest, caring, kind, blah, 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 blah. Like, what does that actually mean? If this man or woman was in your life right now and I was chatting with you, how would you describe this person to you? How do they handle themselves when they're stressed, when they're nervous? Do they know what their wounds are? Do they know what their issues are? Are they working on them? Are they healing them? Like, those are two really, really big things. So I think if you know what you want and that ideal partner is really, really clear, that's essentially your goal. That's the person you're trying to meet. And so you're just going out into the world And yes, you're not going to meet the exact person because everyone's got something, but you just want to learn, like, are you someone that's adding to my life or hurting my life? Are you someone that I can completely be myself around or not? And are you a person that, like I said, you know what your stuff is? That's huge. You need, if you don't, 
you're with someone and they don't know what their stuff is and they're not trying to work on it, their, their stuff, that dysfunction, it's going to spew out into your relationship. It just is. Absolutely. Now you use the word attract. I'm curious, what do you suggest to attract that person into your life? Is it as simple as being the best version of yourself or is there more to it? I think to attract that person into your life, you have to be perfectly fine alone. Okay. hundred percent. And not just like, yeah, I like being single. It's like, enjoy your life. Like, enjoy, like, think about it. Like the person that we think is the most confident is not the person that's eager to be in a relationship. It's the person that's like, I feel pretty good in my life right now. Like by myself, like I'm cool. Like, yeah, I want to meet someone and I will someday, but like, I'm also cool where I am. Cause if you're honest with yourself, relationships are amazing, but it's also amazing to be single. And I think sometimes people aren't just honest with themselves. Like there are pros and cons to everything. You don't have to share your bed, which can be a con and a pro. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you don't have to make decisions with anyone. So like enjoy this time in your life because if you're single right now, tomorrow you can meet someone and never be single again for the rest of your life. Right. So if you break that stuff down, it's where you are. It's not a bad thing. And it's the same thing with being in a relationship. There could come a day where, you know, God forbid someone gets, by a bus, you know, and, and they're gone. So like appreciate what you have and don't try to just always keep, it's that balance of set goals for yourself and want to achieve those goals, but obviously finding peace with where you are right now, that will attract the best partner because then you're not eager to be with someone and you'll keep that standard, that bar really, really high. If you come from that lack or that fear or that desperate or that insecurity, you're going to start dropping that. Yeah, Absolutely. What's a piece of advice you didn't want to hear in your relationship journey that ended up proving to be true? Ooh, what's a piece of advice that, say that again? What's a piece of advice you didn't want to hear that proved to be true over the course of your relationship journey? I don't know if I can say it. (laughs) That person's not right for you. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's real. I think, I think family and friends sometimes see things and the frustrating part is when you leave a relationship and everyone's like, yeah, I didn't really like that person. You're like, what? I thought you all loved this person. You know, I, I think for a big part of my life, I don't think I was honest with who I was and what I needed. And I think that you have to go through a lot of relationships in order to learn who you are. Kind of like jobs, you know what I mean? Like look back on every relationship you've ever had And each person definitely brought something to the table that you really enjoyed and you really loved and take that and maybe put that on your list of what you want going forward. You know, the boy I dated in high school, we would just jam out in the car together and he loved all the music that I loved. Like, it's a silly thing, but like, that's on my list. You know what I mean? And, but there were also things about each person that they couldn't give me that they were incapable of giving me for a multitude of reasons. And I didn't realize how important those things were until I didn't have them. So, and through those experiences, you learn about yourself. And so I think, you know, I don't know. I just think when you go through life, especially in relationships, the more you can be clear on who you are and fully accept who you are, flaws and all, then you'll make a a real list that matches you, you know, the yin and the yang, you'll find out that, that person that works well with you. Sure. I'm so excited that you're talking about this list because I actually just posted mine on Instagram the other day. Uh, yeah, I love that. So I did it in 2018 and this is crazy. I did it in 2018 after reading Chicken Soup for the Soul. 
And that's yeah, where yeah. I found out about it. So I, I wrote the list yep. and then I dated a girl, a woman, a girl, you hear me, a woman in 2020. Uh-huh. And after that relationship passed, I had to redo the list because you just identify so much more that you want in a person, right? So I showed the comparison between the two lists. I'm so excited you're talking about it, but I know I need to let you go. I could talk to you for the rest of the day. So I'm going to respect your time here. I have one more question for you. If Stephanie was, you know, she makes it to whatever year she wants to live to. She writes all the books and hops on all the podcasts, the stages, does all the coaching, but can only be remembered for one piece of advice. What would it be? Good mother, good human being, a fun grandma. Okay. I love that. I love that. It's a good human being. You know, like I, I love what I do. And if I help millions of people, then that's cool. If I help three, that's cool. Like I, I do it. I do it for myself and I feel fulfillment in it, no matter how big or small the I get, so to speak. You know what I mean? I don't need to be on a stage in front of hundreds of thousands of people in order to feel significant. So um, it's more of she, she was just a good, a good soul. Love that. I love that. Steph, I'm going to make sure that all of your socials, uh, websites, all that good stuff is in the show notes of the episode. Yeah. Where are you hanging out most? Are you on Instagram most elsewhere? Yeah, I'm on IG. I got, I'm assuming this isn't, are we, are we done now? We're not, but we can be. Okay. <laughs> no, no, I didn't know how to say it. Well, no, because Instagram got stolen the, over the summer. So I'm starting over. So no, I'm primarily on Instagram. Um, we have a great following on Facebook. Each platform is different. So I hate to say them only, I focus more on one than the other. Each platform caters to a different person. Okay, cool. So we're all over the place. (laughs) I appreciate it. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Uh, Amazing stuff. Like I said, I could have talked to you for the rest of the day, Uh, but I'm going to respect your time here and say thank you again. Thank you so much. And there you have it, everyone. Our friend, Stephanie Lynn, first and foremost, first thing I would ask anyone to do is to make sure they're checking out her content. As mentioned in the way, 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 way early parts of this episode, I had mentioned I discovered Steph off of social. Literally, whatever it was that I was going through in life, it was relationship-based and I was searching stuff. And you know how the algorithms work. They just populate your explore pages with all of these things that are relatable to what you're searching. Lo and behold, I found Steph, and I'm really grateful for that, but even more so grateful that I'm able to amplify her message, her work to each and every one of you. Because I know that there's so many people out there that don't even realize their worth, that let people just walk all over them, that get mistreated, that need to redefine love for themselves, the list goes on and you want to know what? I'm one of them and I'm still working on that. So being able to have these conversations and amplify them really means the world. So once again, make sure that you're checking Steph out. You can do so in the show notes of this episode where you'll find all of her socials. Check out her YouTube, maybe more specifically, or her Instagram. It's really incredible stuff. Now, with that being said, another way that you can make a huge impact here, if this episode, which I'm sure it was because you're still listening to this, if this episode was of impact to you, it could be of impact to maybe there are people that are in your circle. And I've said this time and time again, and I'm going to sound like a parrot or a broken record here, and I don't even care because it's just so important to share. These episodes are totally free, so when you share them with the people that are around you, you really have the opportunity to just pay it forward, right? Like, there is no fee for you listening to this, and there never will be. But with that being said, if there was, it would be to make sure that you're sharing it. You don't have to share it 
on Instagram if you want to go right ahead we'd love to say thank you and show our love right back to you but maybe it's directly in a group text maybe it's directly in a text message an Instagram DM a Twitter DM a Facebook message who knows regardless just asking you to make sure that you're sharing it with the people that are around you and until next time everyone be blessed peace